And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Today, our featured guest is somebody who I've been reading for a number of years. I think this guy has got such a distinctive insight into what is happening in the world. And he sees light at the end of this crazy dark tunnel. And a lot of people are talking about how horrible things are going to be. But he sees the light and he sees how things are going to manifest. I mean, he, he's been talking and making accurate predictions for so many years. I believe he predicted the crash of 1987 to the exact day. He also predicted a lot of other world events. And he utilizes this with a program or computer he developed called Socrates. And I'll usually wait till we begin the show, but I'll tell you the person's name is Martin Armstrong. And there was a documentary about his life called The Forecaster, which you can check out. Very interesting individual. Not only does he talk a lot about economics, but if you go to his site, he talks a lot about philosophy. I think there's just a wide range, and I consider him to be a terrific teacher. So let us begin tonight's program. He's going to discuss current events and how things will likely play out. It is a great honor. When I say a great honor, I mean this is something I've been looking forward to for a long time, and I'm so happy we're allowed to have it happen. Our featured guest today is Martin Armstrong. He is a renowned, I would call him a financial visionary, somebody who's a freedom advocate, somebody who has an insight on the world, the world economy that very few people have. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I, I say I'm thankful for all the blessings that I have. And the first thing I do in the morning is I go to armstrongeconomics.com and I read what Martin has to say because I feel that is a very pure form of information. Martin, welcome to our show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. All right, so you've got people like Peter Schiff, Ron Paul, and Jeff Berwick, and a lot of others saying that the U.S., economy is going to collapse. They've been talking about it for a long time. They say we're going to experience hyperinflation and we're going to have this incredible day of financial reckoning. Yet in the course of the time that I've been reading your, your insight and following your interviews, you seem to share a different perspective on this. You remember one of your perspectives is that the U.S. currency has never been canceled. Can you please elaborate on this? And do you think that any of their perspectives about the economy imploding or hyperinflation will actually ever come true? <clears throat> Not really. I mean, with, that is all pretty much based upon um, what you would call maybe Austrian economics. And, and that was predicated upon really the, the time period uh, where Gresham developed his law, all right, advising, you know, really uh, Queen Elizabeth in, in England. And, and back then, there was no superpower. So everybody's money, uh, basically just the foreign exchange uh, rates on it in, in Amsterdam, where, where Gresham had been working for the crown, 
it was all based upon metal content. So when uh, Henry VIII started debasing his his coinage, uh, he basically saw that you know two things really happened: that not only did it fall in value on the Amsterdam markets, but uh, what happened was that people would then hoard the old coinage uh, and spend the new. And I mean, I found that out to be true, uh, even in, in ancient Roman times. I mean, I put together the whole monetary system and, and saw exactly how that really does, you know, take place. But uh, what he, these people don't get is that uh, you go back even to ancient times and you find, you know, Athens when it was the major power, other countries were imitating their coinage and imitating in the sense that it was the same quality silver. It wasn't a counterfeit. Um, and it's just that they their coinage was so well accepted internationally uh, that that pretty much really was the reason that they just imitated it. I mean, even Egypt, which didn't issue any coins until they were conquered by Alexander the Great, uh, issued imitation Athenian owls uh, in order to facilitate trade. So the dollar is, is the same thing. And, and this is what these people don't understand, is that... Um, they just look at the hyperinflation of Germany and say, oh, you're printing money and therefore uh, you'll, you'll get the hyperinflation here because we keep increasing money supply. That's a very um, poor analysis. It's not even, uh, I would call an analysis really, because it's, it's just looking at skimming in the surface. Uh, what they don't you know, uh, understand is that the hyperinflation had nothing to do with the increasing the quantity of money. Uh, <clears throat> what happened was that Germany, um, trying to make its reparation payments, uh, was basically broke. There was a, a revolution in 1918, and the communists actually took over, which then there was a compromise, and they, you ended up with the Weimar Republic. But the communists in 1918 were actually asking the Russians to please come take Germany. They wanted to join. And so the Weimar Republic, uh, as a result of the communists, people started taking their money, hoarding it, putting it off offshore because uh, they thought Germany was going to go like Russia. So there was a shortage of money and taxes and things of this nature. So in December 1922, uh, Germany confiscated 10% of everybody's assets. That was it. Uh, whatever you had in the bank, they took 10% of it. They gave you a bond and said, oh, okay, here it is. So it was kind of like a forced loan in the way they were presenting it. I mean, you can buy these bonds on, um, on eBay. Uh, you know, of course, they defaulted on them. But once they confiscated 10% of everybody's assets, then the confidence in, in the government completely collapsed. So the hyperinflation comes the year after. 
nobody would accept their currency. I mean, it just got to be, you know, total pandemonium. So you have to look at these things uh, in the whole historical context. And what first really started Germany down that path was the 1918 revolution where the, you know, the communists were asking Russia to come in. So, you know, just as today we have people moving money around because they're afraid of what Biden might do or what, you know, it's the same thing. You're going to respond to whatever you anticipate might happen, even if it doesn't happen. Uh, so these people that keep talking about, oh, the U.S. dollar is going to crash and hyperinflation, it's all based upon real nonsense, actually. Uh, the U.S. will go into an inflationary period, but um, and towards the end, we're looking at the collapse in confidence of government. But it's not just the United States. Just about everybody outside the United States is far worse than than we have here. Um, they, I mean, you take Europe, for example. I mean, it's a real basket case. The, the ECB went to negative interest rates in 2014. They have not been able to get out of that ever since. Uh, here you have the Fed, which never went negative, and basically saying, okay, fine, we're going to have to raise rates because of inflation. Europe is like beside themselves and saying, you know, all right, fine, well, maybe we'll reduce what we're buying. Um, China comes in and says, please don't raise rates. The Fed is the only independent central bank in the world. And people bash the, the Fed all the time. But, you know, uh, it, that's not, you know, a fair analysis. Uh, what's happening here is that um, because the dollar is the reserve currency, you have all these emerging markets who have issued debt in dollars. And they do that so they could sell it easier. Uh, they're absorbing the foreign exchange risk. China warned its provinces and, and companies do not borrow in dollars. They did anyhow. And that's why China was like kind of lobbying with the Fed, please don't raise interest rates, because what you're going to do is you're going to send all these emerging markets that have borrowed in dollars um, as you know, not only do the rates go up, but the dollar rises. And the more the dollar rises, that means they have to pay more and they lost on their foreign exchange. So it's a complete mess. But um, the U.S. is the last one to fall, uh, not the first. These people always just focus solely on the United States and they don't, you know, they don't look outside what's happening. And the United States, look, yeah, we got a, a you know deficit problems. I disagree with Biden and all his spending, et cetera. But we are still the you know the prettiest of the three ugly sisters, as they say. <laughs> um, you have to understand that things are much much worse outside the country than uh, than here. And uh, I mean, even you take with Russia and and Ukraine, just look at the capital flows. I mean, there's been about $5 billion a month coming into the U.S. equity markets, and that's all capital fleeing from Europe. 
So these people say, oh, the dollar is going to crash and everything else. All right, if the dollar crashes, then you're going to take your money and put it where? In European bonds? Chinese bonds? Where are you going to go? <laughs> there is no other place. I guess if, according to Peter Schiff, he would say gold and silver. He's been an advocate for gold and silver. A lot of these other individuals have been an advocate for gold and silver, physical gold and silver. Because uh, right now, I mean, I love your answer about what you said, and I, and I just saw what happened yesterday in Canada, how the Canadians decided, the Canadian government decided, well, look, if you criticize and we view you as a threat, we could confiscate your bank account. And I wonder, because of something like that, has occurred because that has been extra, um, entered into the lexicon, so we say, if that happens in the U.S., that that would actually undermine total confidence in the U.S. government, because I wonder what impact it will have on the Canadian government if it will force people to use other means of exchange, if it will force people to go to cryptocurrencies. I'm curious, when the government actually says that they will flat out confiscate your wealth in that particular manner, what impact does that have? Does that accelerate the uh, undermine the confidence in governments. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what Germany did. <laughs> Except they just took 10%. But, um, I mean, <clears throat> Trudeau is <clears throat> one of these young global leaders, and he, he takes his orders from the World you know, Economic Forum. Um, and, you know, Schwab has got basically control over a lot of these places. He has total control over Europe. Um, the head of the EU was on his board, the head of the ECB is on his board currently, same as the head of the IMF. Um, they're just pushing his economic philosophy upon the world. This is what they're really trying to do. Trudeau's doing that. Same thing in Australia and the same thing in New Zealand. Um, he's trying desperately to get into the United States, which was one of the main reasons why um, they had to get people to, to try and hate Trump. Uh, and, I mean, carries his man in the White House. And it, it's just, <clears throat> this is a an attempt to bring about his economic theories. And, and that's not going to work. But when you do undermine the confidence in the government, that's when the currency is, is in crisis. The U.S., <clears throat> uh, is the last to, to do so. I think the Fed would even be screaming uh, against them. And uh, it's, I don't see that coming in the U.S. as of yet, um, but Canada is, is completely insane. Uh, and it's, you know, that's debatable. But what happens is, is that people will then use U.S. dollars and things of this nature um, gold, silver, yeah, I mean, they've been moving up to some degree, but, you know, the problem with gold is that it's lost its mobility, really. You can't hop on a plane with a roll of $20 gold pieces yep. anymore. Um, there was a woman that flew from Canada to San Francisco. She had about $30,000 worth of gold on her, and they confiscated it. Um, so it, it's just, it's really kind of very bad. People, I have friends in 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 Paris, and they go to Brussels to to try and buy gold. I mean, they came and do it in, in Paris, um, and it's. I mean, there was a big um, 
ancient coin show was used to be the biggest probably in the world was in Paris. And the government came down and they said they wanted a list of everybody they attended, what they bought and what they sold. And the dealers basically knew they couldn't do it and they shut it down. That was it. Nobody goes to Paris anymore. Um, so it, it's it, this is what you have to understand. It, it's there's probably another example rather than the, the, the German hyperinflation, which shows that how drastic it can get. Uh, but that was Japan. Now, Japan's coins were just, you know, uh, iron. Uh, so they really had no particular, you know, metallic value to them. And so it, that was really, you know, uh, a coinage that was what you would call fiat, I guess. It's determined by its value by according to the government. And so what would happen, each emperor would come in and he would devalue all the outstanding money of the last emperor to, to worth only 10% of what it used to be. And then he would issue his own coins and say, now, this, these are what we're going to use. After, you know, <clears throat> two to three of these emperors pulling that stuff, Japan, the Japanese would no longer accept Japanese coins. They, they relied upon bags of rice and Chinese coins. And Japan lost the right to even issue coins for 600 years. Coinage from Japan didn't reappear until the Meiji period. So uh, the, the confidence in government is absolutely critical. And I mean, this is what Canada is, they think that they can just bully people around the same thing in New Zealand and in Australia. And they are getting all of this from uh, Klaus Schwab. Uh, and I'm not making up, you know, conspiracy theories. I mean, most of these people that they're starting to talk about Schwab are beginning to realize, but, uh, I mean, I've, you know, I've looked them straight in the eyes. We've shaken hands. I mean, you know, that's, I can say that where I think 99% of these other people don't, uh, he even has a, a bust of, of, uh, Lenin on his bookshelf in his Jeez. office. Uh, so he is a an academic. Uh, he is full blown uh, Marxist, and the reason they think Marxism failed before was because they didn't have the whole world. Um, so they think it will work if they get everybody this time, and that's what he's actually trying to do. His young leaders, etc., uh, and. You have to understand that this is, you know, it, it comes from academia. I mean, these people don't have real jobs. They don't ever talk to uh, the people in the street because we're the great unwashed and too stupid to have a conversation with them. Uh, so they just sit there. They drink their port wines in their five-star hotels, pat each other on the back and say how brilliant they are, you know. Um, and, and that's basically it. So, I mean... Schwab is living in a dream world. And the reason Marx was able to get his ideas for the Russian Revolution is substantially different than today. Back then, Russia continued with serfdom and didn't abolish it until 1861, where serfdom in Europe had been abolished in the 14th century. So they abolished serfdom about when slavery was abolished over here in the U.S. 
So consequently, the people owned nothing. All the land, everything was owned by the aristocrats. So selling the idea of Marxism, you know, let's go get the rich, they have everything, at least made sense. Today, uh, you know, and, you know, a lot of people have seen his eight points on, on Agenda 2030. And, you know, the first one is you'll own nothing and be happy. Um, you know, he lives in a dream world. Yeah. I mean, in, if he doesn't understand. People have their own houses, their own cars today. Uh, you know, they save for their, you know, for the retirement. They, they, they save money to leave to their children. And he's asking them to just give her all that up and you'll be happy. I mean, I, I just don't see it really. But um, you, you're one of the few people I've been following and reading that has a positive perspective on the future. I mean, I know you've talked about saying, well, when Bill Gates and, and Schwab try to implement this, they're going to kill a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure a lot of, there's going to be a lot of destruction, but ultimately humanity will, will prevail. And it's kind of interesting because there have been a couple other people that we've had before on our program that have all emphasized that socialism fails. Is that there's no any there's no incentive for people to produce in a Marxist socialist type system. But to give everyone a quick catch up on something, you've developed this program, Socrates, that you've utilized. Computer program generates thousands of reports. It creates it shows about makes predictions about what's going on in the world, economic conditions. Utilizing Socrates and utilizing your own experience of human nature, is there one prediction that you foresee in the future that you're very hopeful about? Is there one prediction that you foresee in the future that you are most haunted about? And if so, what would those two predictions be? Well, we're definitely going through uh, a crash and burn, so to speak. And what I mean by that is that the governments that we uh, have today will no longer exist. And that may sound dramatic or whatever, but you have to understand that we live in a republic, not a democracy. They even bullshit us about that. Um, a, a democracy is where you vote on what we're going to spend, etc. A republic is where one guy represents everybody in the state and he's easily bribed. Um, no republic has ever lasted. I mean, that's why Caesar crossed the Rubicon, all right? Um, and even that was fake news back then. And the, the reason Julius Caesar uh, had to revise the calendar is an example of how corruption uh, prevails in a, in a republic. The, the high priest, uh, they knew, you know, they used the lunar... Uh, calendar, and they knew it wasn't perfect, and you had to insert um, leap days. So they would bribe the the priest if they didn't want to go to an to an election. They would bribe the priest and say, "Give us three months." All right. So, but when Caesar crossed the Rubicon, what should have been <clears throat> winter was really summer, and so he be. <clears throat> that's why we have the Julian calendar. It was revised later by you know Pope Gregory, but. Um, I mean, he's the one that standardized the calendar to to eliminate all this stupid corruption. And that was just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And so republics never last because they're easily corrupted. Uh, these people get uh, out of touch. 
they they're career politicians. I mean, you know, I've known many of them. I've worked with governments not just in the U.S. but around the world for for 40 years, and I, you know, I see no difference between a politician here in Germany or anywhere else. Uh, they're all the same. Uh, they they only act in their own self-interest and not yours. And I've learned over the years that the way I, I guess to explain it, if I walked into an office and I said, listen, you know, maybe if we don't do this, 25 million people will die tomorrow. And they'll go, yeah, well, maybe you're wrong. They prefer the 25 million to die. And it's very simple from their perspective. If I ran for president and I say, vote for me because I saved your job, and you're going to look at me and like, well, how do I know I would have lost it? It's better you lose your job. And then I say, vote for me. I'll get the guy that did it. And everybody goes, yeah, go get him. All right. But you can't win an election on good news to say, I saved the world. They're not going to believe you. And the politicians do know this. So they prefer disaster. Uh, and every time there's something like this, it just, this is what makes the, this is what they live for. They love that. Jeez, they well, twisted. I always wonder if there's going to be that, that reckoning. I mean, right now we look at, uh, well, let's say reckoning is that when these politicians, all the corruption that they do finally catches up with them. I see what's happening in Canada right now. I'm astounded at actually pleasantly surprised at uh, how peaceful those truckers have been. And I feel like they've actually set an example for a lot of other people across the world. They've always been very peaceful. And it's driven that guy Trudeau insane. And he seems to be, you know, showing more and more fascism. And I wonder if that is an indication that, uh, you know, something is going to dramatically change. Is there any indication that you foresee where we're going to see the, these people either resign or get, or get arrested at some point? Is there ever going to be a, a quote-unquote day of justice where the people you know, take their power back? Well, it's happening, um, and, and I think you'll see it more, that these countries will break up. Um, in, in Canada, it, it's going to be basically the West you know, versus the East, but then the very East Coast is also against the center. Um, in, in the United States, it will be North against South. Uh, and, and even there, most people have, you know, distorted even what the, the Civil War was about. Uh, they say it was just slavery, and that's not true. Um, you know, less than 5% of the people even voting even had slaves. And the, the people that had the slaves were the ones that owned the big plantations. So the soldiers weren't necessarily that. But what people don't realize is from the very beginning of the United States, when they voted on the Constitution, it was not unanimous. Out of 70 people, you know, only 39 voted for it. Even Patrick Henry voted against it. Um, they saw this as a usurpation, basically, of power to Federalists. And that was, you know, Thomas Jefferson versus the Federalists. And, and it, it was a question of states' rights versus, you know, Washington coming up and dictating everything. And so we have that uh, basically still inbred in, in, in the country. And it's also why Biden could not 
you know, uh, basically impose lockdown on the whole country, etc. Um, whereas they can do that in Europe. And, you know, Macron just shuts down the whole place. You know, that's it. Um, and so uh, you, here you will see, you know, the it's still a separation of North versus South, but not over slavery and stuff like that. It's basically uh, states' rights. Uh, like I live down in Florida and it's, we had no pro real problem. I mean, I never felt oppressed down here. The most free state uh, in the country and you know, maybe the world. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I mean, actually tomorrow I have two people coming in from uh, fleeing from Germany. <laughs> um, and I mean, the, right now, you know, unfortunately, but they say, uh, you know, the, the latest stats are over 1,300 people per day are coming to Florida. I mean, you know, it's getting to be a little too much. I mean, the traffic is clearly doubled. Um, I came down here to get away from New York. You know. <laughs> New York, you know, Miami is just basically New York with sunshine. That's about it. Uh, I mean, even Wall Street is moving down here. I mean, Goldman Sachs moved its most you know, profitable divisions down here to, to Boca Raton. Uh, I, I had a friend of mine who was a very major investment banker in New York with one of the top three firms. And he called me and says, hey, you want to go to dinner? You know, I said, no, sure. I thought he was just down here visiting. And he says, no, I just moved here. I said, really? We work virtual. I don't have to be in New York anymore. I said, OK, that's interesting. So, I mean, you're, you're seeing movement already. And the United States will split. And this is inevitable. You see the same thing in, in Germany, north versus south. It's north versus south in, in Ireland, in, in England. Um, and you're also seeing it in, in Italy. So it's, it's very much, uh, you know, you're seeing the original states that were separate. It, that's, that's coming back. So, I don't think it's a bad thing. I really don't think it's a bad thing. If people want to live together in, in some certain mentality, I read this article by Brandon Smith in Altmarket. basically says that there's a certain percentage of the population that refuses to relinquish control over the others. And I feel like, you know, if people have certain values, why can't they just live among themselves? I think that would be more peaceful. Well, see, that's the problem with the left. Um, <clears throat> that, I mean, the joke is they can't sleep at night worrying about somebody's doing something they don't like. Uh, they don't believe in freedom. Uh, you know, they don't believe in individuality. And I mean, even look at what AOC is saying. Individuality is bad. You know, we have to be a team. We all have to have the same ideas like, like worker bees. Um, so you have this major clash. I mean, New York just fired, I think, 1,400 or 1,500 people because they refused to take the vaccine. Um, yeah. even this is, is, is nuts. I mean, I, you know, uh, <clears throat> I have a friend whose family is, gets violently sick for any kind of a vaccine. I mean, even a flu shot or whatever it is, you know, genetically, they just can't take it. Um, so it, you know, not everybody's the same and, and mandating you, you know, you lose all your liberties and everything. If you're not vaccinated, this is absurd. 
uh, this is certainly not the land of the free and home of the brave or what the Constitution, you know, guarantees. But this is the world that these people try to create. And, and it's um, I mean, even this this covid thing. Um, I mean, I was one of the you know, I knew from the very beginning that this was all a sham. Uh, Schwab, I know. And I swear to God, on my mother's grave. Before, you know, even as early as January of 2020, he told people on the phone, friends of his, get out of the market, a virus is coming. Uh, I was hearing that before, uh, as early as August of 2019. The Build Back Better slogan was basically coined and circulated as what do you think of this idea in January of 2019 at Davos? Um, I mean, I know these people. I'm not making up stuff. Um, <clears throat> so I knew what was coming. I put that on my, on my blog. I said, look, this is, this is it. And was it created in a lab? Absolutely. Was it deliberately leaked? I believe so. And I can tell you that a friend of mine was uh, was one of the top editors of London Financial Times, and she investigated COVID, the lab leak, the whole thing, and uncovered a whole bunch of stuff. And the London FT refused to publish it. She quit. Um, so I mean, this is you know, using this COVID has been the greatest excuse to try and. Um, really destroy the economy with the lockdowns so he can build back better and put in this great reset. And, I mean, you can look, they've started floating the great reset idea within a matter of weeks of COVID coming up. Um, it's the first time you ever lock down a, a country. I mean, you can go on our blog. I mean, I was given the code... Uh, for that Ferguson used with his model. I was asked to review it. It was absolutely disastrous. I mean, it was nothing more than I wrote. I said, this is like a, a child's game of Sim City. Even the instructions said, run it five times and then take the average. Same. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pathetic. I mean, this was something that, that would have been written by maybe a a programmer in, you know, first semester class or something. I mean, it was not sophisticated at all. Um, and as you know, I mean, I've been a programmer all my life. I mean, it's, it, this is just, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. It was just completely pathetic. I was asked to review the, the, the code by, you know, I came from, from Britain and I, I did, I was just completely shocked. Yet this guy, got all kinds of money from Bill Gates, uh, and he's the one that said we have to lock down or 20% of the population is going to die. And then they said, well, maybe I was wrong on, on my estimate. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Mr. Martin Armstrong, I want to thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your insight, and for sharing your wisdom. I know that people are going to be walking away from this with a lot more clarity than they did before, a lot more hopeful than they did before. Again, I've been reading your, your site for a long time. First thing I read in the morning 
And I love the fact that while so many individuals are talking about how totalitarianism is going to succeed, while we're going to be going to the dark ages of humanity, you're always that person shining the light saying, no, it's not going to happen. No, we're, we're going to succeed. No, it's it's not human nature is not going to allow this to happen. So I want to thank you so much for putting that wonderful information out. You can learn more about Mr. Armstrong by going to his website at armstrongeconomics.com. Also, I rarely do this, but I want to emphasize that Martin has done exceptional interviews with individuals like Greg Hunter at usawatchdog.com. I love the interviews that you've done with uh, Greg. He also did a fantastic interview on The High Wire with Del Bigtree. And of course, Kerry Lutz from the Financial Survival Network has Martin on and uh, he asked really great questions. So if you want to uh, learn more about Martin and hear some of those interviews, please check those sites out. Uh, Mr. Armstrong, thank you so much. Great honor, sir. Well, thank you for inviting me. And it's not all dark and, and gloom. Yes, we get to, to recreate government just like the founding fathers did. But that's probably around 2032. Excellent. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor. Miss Constance Dallas and our social producer Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Yay! Take care and thank you so much for listening.